Hello and welcome to another episode of Naturally Adventurous. I'm Charlie Hesse and as always I'm joined by my good friend Ken Behrens. Hi folks. So this week is the long-awaited grand finale of our top 10 lifetime mammals. We've been going for, for, for quite a while with this. Months, <laughs> Seems eh? like months. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've had journalists basically stalking me and knocking on my door, you know, trying to find out <laughs> what is my number one. It's, it's been it's been exactly. intense. It's been intense. Anyway, um, we're here. We're excited to do this final episode. It's going to be great. And just before we get stuck in, we just want to say a big thank you to our new patrons. As you remember, we set up a, a Patreon page and some people have um, chosen to support us on that so welcome to our new uh, patreon patrons yeah many thanks um one of one of our patrons uh gene buyer actually wrote in with a little story about canids uh, after we talked about african wild dog and wolf and various other canids and she had a, a little story of her own to share which i'll read um she said I have to tell you canid lovers about my recent coyote sighting. I live in Minnesota in a suburb of Minneapolis and a coyote comes through the backyard every once in a while. A couple of days ago one came trotting along right in the middle of the afternoon. It paused opposite my windows then went on a bit farther and appeared to stop and mark near the boundary with the neighbor's yard. It then went trotting away going west to east as always. Then a minute or two later along came a second coyote. This one was running apparently tracking the first one. It stopped where the first one had marked, then went running on exactly where the first one had. These are big, handsome coyotes with beautiful coats and always looking very well-fed on mice, gray squirrels, and eastern cottail rabbits, I assume. Very neat to see in my suburban yard. Uh, it's cool, uh, cool sighting. I love how, uh, how common coyotes have become in North America these days. Oh, they're beautiful animals. I think I've only seen one once, and it was very brief and um, it was a long time ago, so I, I really wouldn't mind seeing it again. That it's amazes really me, cool eh? That's, animal I've, uh, it's just such yeah. a, I, they were maybe a little bit less common when you were spent a lot of time in North America, but boy, you see them all over the place these days. Oh, by the cool. way, well, thank um, you, for that. yeah, I, I had a friend of ours wrote in about uh, red wolves. We were talking with uh, Nate Swick about the red wolves that have been reintroduced in North Carolina. Well, apparently uh -huh. the source for those was the Upper Texas Coast, um, Anahuac National Wildlife Refuge, which is a place we both spent quite a bit of time, and and that was uh -huh. that's the area where I've seen these really big reddish coyotes. So there almost right. certainly is genes of red wolf left in that area, even though the sort of the pure population is gone. Oh, and I heard another somebody else wrote me. Um, way back a few weeks ago when I talked about this shearwater spectacle at Cape Cod. Uh -huh. I, in that episode, I said I'd, I'd never heard an explanation for what was going on, why there were just these obscene like tens or hundreds of thousands of shearwaters like right along the beach. Oh, did, did somebody tell you? Yeah. And uh -huh. the reason these things came in was that there was this huge emergence of fish huge numbers of peanut bunker which is the juvenile form of <laughs> the herring relative known as menhaden and so a very desirable food for bigger fish and birds now to me this sort of pushes the question back like why were these huge numbers of peanut bunker like right along the beach when they normally aren't but at least uh it, it's part of the picture as far as what was going on there so <laughs> thanks for that um, just to let our listeners know, we are um, always very happy to hear from people, and we'd actually really like to start including some more stories from our listeners, from our patrons. Um, so if you do have a story that's related to anything we're talking about on any of the shows or anything that's, uh, that you think would be of interest, then please uh, get in touch. You can uh, write us a, a little story, as Gene did, or even better, you could send us, you could record yourself on your phone just with the uh, the recording function, the voice recorder, and then you could just share that and uh, to, to our email addresses, which are on the episode description. So we'd really like to start including some stories from, from our listeners. Definitely. Okay, so we're here. How are we going to do this, Ken? Who, who's going to go first? How about a coin shall flip? I, uh, shall I toss a... 
Shit, I the coin. Let's let's do it. To have a coin handy here, right? What are you going for? I'll let you. Is, is there a head on the coin that you have there? There, it, there is a head on the coin. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going yep. heads. Heads, heads, I go heads. first. Okay. Yep, heads, you go first. Let's try. And it is heads. All right. You are up. <laughs> so we're, we're we're down to Ken's number one lifetime mammal sighting, which I'm very very jealous of. I had a chance. I was invited along on this trip, but uh, unfortunately, I couldn't afford it at the time. <laughs> but it's been uh, it's been haunting me ever since that that decision. Um, so yeah, you're going to tell us all about your um, snow leopard sighting. Yes, indeed. Um, my top, probably my top lifetime wildlife sighting. Really, uh, just one of the uh-huh. peak experiences of my entire life. As a kid, at some point, I saw some sort of National Geographic special about snow leopards. And it was one of these things where they, they had some really bad, really distant footage sort of taken in the snow. I think they visited a den, maybe, that had been occupied, but they, they didn't manage to even get very good footage. But this special just left me with the impression that this animal was like the ultimate thing to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> on the entire globe. I just couldn't imagine anything yeah. more awesome or mysterious than this big gray and white leopard living up in the high Himalayas at 18,000 feet in the snow and ice. It, it just seemed like the ultimate to me. And, and at the same yeah, time, yeah, at the same time, it seemed like something that was totally unachievable. And at that point, when I when I saw this, it, it pretty much was, you know, the, the film crews would go up there for months and not get footage. It, it was just not really available to to anybody, uh, let alone the general public. It was something that it's there. It has this huge range across uh, Central Asia into the Himalayas, just never regularly seen anywhere that was accessible. Um, but this changed. Around 10 years ago, maybe a little less than 10 years ago, in northern India, in Ladakh. I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but I, I think local people there realized that the leopards were desirable to tourists, and mm-hmm. some incredibly skilled local guides trained themselves and lear- learned the skills of how to find this animal. And slowly but surely, a trickle of folks started to go up there. Um, there was one trip report that came out uh, just a little little under 10 years ago. And our, our mutual friend Keith Barnes, who we interviewed a couple months ago, he sent this to me and our friend Scott. And I think we all had the same reaction. As soon as we read this trip report, <laughs> in which they'd actually seen, they'd been up there in northern India and they'd seen a snow leopard. And they had beautiful photos of scenery, and they had lists of other things they'd seen, and and of description of the the adventure. All three of us just felt like I have to do this. Like, I don't care how much it costs. Like I'm gonna make this happen. Um, Keith was having some kind of uh, mild midlife crisis at this point, <laughs> and so he he was kind of his fortieth birthday. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, he was he was the driving force in, in, in making this happen. I think you know uh, after he sent that trip report, he knew he knew Scott and I were on the hook. He, he might have sent that to right. you as well, eh? I, I think he did. I, I was invited along, yeah, but uh, yeah, I declined unfortunately. So, so Keith Keith set things up, and I think it was February we went up there. You basically you want to go in, in the middle of winter. That's when the leopards are lower down the mountains, so they're only at like. 17,000 feet instead of 19,000 feet. <laughs> so we made uh, we made the pilgrimage up there into deep into the Himalayas. It's an incredible part of the world. You so we first flew into Delhi. So you're in this the big huge flat Ganges plain. And when you fly, you fly to the town of Leh, which is in the Indus River Valley. So it's this large river valley um, going through the heart of the Himalayas, and but to get to Leh, you have to fly over these this huge band of mountains that are, you know, many of them I'm sure are over twenty thousand, twenty five thousand feet. 
and it just seems like an, a trackless wilderness. When you fly over and you're looking down on the plane, it just seems absolutely endless. And then the, the Indus Valley is a big valley, but the peaks that you have just come over are so big that you, ha you do this crazy kind of corkscrew to land in this valley. It, it's one of the, you know, I've talked about a few of these bizarre and exciting landings in airplanes, but this, is, this was one of the best. Uh, so you'd sort of <laughs> do this tight corkscrew to get down into this valley, down among these peaks. And you land in this valley, and so we had a couple days to, to acclimate because you're already at pretty high altitude in, in Ley, and then you're going much higher up into Hemis National Park. And uh, in these days, the only option was to camp. <clears throat> so after we were acclimated, we drove a couple hours up the valley, and then we trekked up a side valley. And we had little... Uh, little mules to carry our stuff. We trekked in on foot and we set up our camp. So you can imagine this is Himalayas, you know, I don't know what is 16,000 feet or something. And it's February. Mm -hmm. So it, it <laughs> is rightly cold. We had incredible luck right off the bat in this trip. Our, our lead tracker, this guy called Jigmet, incredibly skilled guy he uh -huh. he was scouting around the camp and he found a recently killed blue sheep that had been killed the night before he reckoned by a snow leopard and it had oh. just started feeding and so this thing was just sitting there so he was he you know he's confident we're, we're gonna see this animal so you know we very quickly like rushed to a place where we had advantage of this this blue sheep carcass which was this little ridge line exposed ridgeline, basically a pile of rock. And we'd been there for a couple hours and we and we're, were basically just sitting there and scanning. And you, you're just scanning with an intensity you've never felt before, you know, because you're looking for a, a snow leopard. Um, because apparently they often, they sleep near their kills, usually in a place that's catching a bit of sun. And after maybe an hour and a half of scanning, Keith actually spotted the snow leopard. Um, <laughs> Keith spotted it. Keith spotted it, yeah. So these, these local really? <laughs> guides are amazingly good, but I have to give Keith credit. That was a great spot. He, he spotted this thing sleeping yeah. up on, on a high rock in the sun. <laughs> now, it was pretty far away, but we got this thing on our scopes, yeah. no doubt about it. This is a snow leopard. Uh, incredibly uh -huh. exciting moment. Not, not a great view. You know, you're, you're kind of looking at this mm. grayish thing way up on the mountain, but we knew at some point it was going to come down and feed on this blue sheep and this blue sheep was only right 200 meters 200 yards away from us something like that so we knew oh like, really wow. like this is going to be incredible if it comes in the leopard was not in a hurry to come feed uh, i think it, you know it's probably <laughs> very full from the night Somebody. before yeah. I, it looking at the carcass it had basically eaten like a whole hind leg of one of these these big sheep already really so he's just wow. lying up there digesting trying to get warm in the sun. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't until sunset, basically, that the leopard descended. And I don't think I've ever been colder. <laughs> we basically spent at least 10 hours just standing there. You know, sub-freezing temperatures in the wind on a pile of rock, just waiting for this leopard to come. And, you know, you do not want to leave. You, you, you absolutely, you, you're not going to miss. <laughs> this leopard coming down to feed on the sheep. So leaving is not an option. Um, to be to be fair, we had an incredible camp crew who actually brought food up to us and they even brought us hot really? tea a couple times. So that was like a lifesaver. Oh. But it, despite that, I mean, yeah. it was just so cold. I, I mean, I just remember just stamping my feet, walking in little circles and sort of pumping my arms, just trying to stay warm. But it was it was all so worth it when right around sunset this leopard came down. Uh, just seeing this thing like gracefully descending uh, the scree slopes and and coming towards this sheep, it was just I don't know. It was like a consciousness altering experience. I, and I probably part of that was the cold. You know, you, you, 
you're just uh-huh. so cold <laughs> and you've been standing there all day you you're already in some kind of weird state of mind and then this this huge yeah. cat just comes down the mountain and i mean it was just glorious so he uh he fed for a while and then, and then we basically just had to leave because it was getting dark right and the next night uh, we went back to the same place and we got a little bit closer because we, mm-hmm. we, I guess we pushed our luck uh, based on the expertise of the trackers. They said, okay, we you know, it came in last time. We can get a little bit closer. And so it was pretty much the same thing. You know, spent hours waiting. And then it came in at uh-huh. sunset. And this, this was the specific moment that was my top lifetime wildlife experience. Because uh-huh. for the leopard this time was sort of up the valley in a different place. It was sort of at the head of this little valley. And when it came down to feed, it walked directly towards us. And it knew we were there. It absolutely knew we were there. And it just stared at us the whole time. Every, right. every step, these kind of blue, pale eyes just staring at us. And so, you know, you're, st- you're looking through binoculars or you're, you're looking through your scope at this just magnificent cat just striding. And it's, it's like its eyes are piercing your soul. You know, it's, it's, 10 or 20 degrees below freezing. Were you kind of, were you trying to hide away a little bit, hide behind rocks or what? Yep, yep. We were kind of behind the ridgeline. Yeah. So we weren't super right. conspicuous. Okay. We, were, we were quiet. Right. But, you know, that leopard knew we were there. Yeah, yeah. But that just those those moments of that thing just stalking in to within, I don't know, 150 yards, something like that. Just, right. just unforgettable. Just staring into the eyes of a snow leopard. It was, uh, yeah, it was my top lifetime wildlife experience. Yeah, so uh, Ken, if anyone, uh, some of you may know that we, uh, last year we were busy making virtual tours um, in some of the places, that some of our favorite locations. And Ken actually did one on this trip to see the snow leopard. And I really, if anybody's interested, I really would encourage them to see those. I think you can see them on the Tropical Birding uh, YouTube page now, but it's a really nice. You've actually got some some lo- like local music and a sort of real full pictorial description of uh, what you were up to. So yeah, it was, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, if you enjoyed this this verbal description, there's a lot more there mm. to uh, to really set the scene. So yeah. after after those first couple sightings, I mean, we we did, had incredible luck. The next mm. day. The, the trackers, Jigmet and his team, actually spotted a mother snow leopard way up. No, no, so how did it go? I think he spotted her, the mother, and then we heard this weird call. She was making this kind of... And then another snow leopard was following her, and it was this sort of half-grown cub. And then there was a... Wow. We were tracking them, and then another cub jumped out from behind the rocks. So we had a mother being followed by two cubs. And that was just, wow. it was just ridiculous at that point. We we had incredible luck with this animal. You know, when I when I went there on this trip that Keith uh, set up, I fixed in my mind, like, if I don't see this animal, I'm not going to allow this to be a disappointment. I, I just don't like that kind of mentality. Right. It's like I'm I'm going into the yeah. Himalayas in the middle of winter. It's just like a dream place for me to see. I'm not just going to be totally obsessed with snow leopard to the point where if I don't see it, I'm going to be really angry about it or something. Like I, I obviously really wanted to see it, but that was my mentality going in now would yeah. that would that have really it, could i have maintained that if we hadn't seen it <laughs> i don't know i don't know but uh we had incredible luck with with the leopards we and then after a couple days camping we went to another place where there where you can actually stay in a homestay which was quite a bit warmer and we didn't see any more leopards up there but we had wolves and a bunch of other great things so it was overall it was uh it was just a fantastic experience good company you know uh, good friends i i brought a nice bottle of scotch to celebrate keith's birthday around the uh little oh, you did. the little stove <laughs> at the homestay and 
Yeah, it uh, was. Uh, it was you know, it was one of those special trips in every way. It wasn't just the Snow Leopard. It was good company, just incredible place. Visited some some amazing sort of Tibetan Buddhist monasteries in the in the Indus Valley. Just the the culture, the sort of Buddhist culture, is pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, and then in that that natural setting, it's really when you think of how isolated those kind of places would have been for most of their history, culturally fascinating as well. So it was the sighting and the trip of a lifetime in a lot of ways. And you should have been there. Uh, it, yeah, I should have. <laughs> L- luckily, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, now or never kind of, you know, the, the, these these things are probably even easier to, to get now. Eh? You were, But yeah, it's, it's, they very consistently find it now. I don't think most or probably almost nobody misses it and apparently you can see it now in summer in i think in mongolia or maybe in china in mongolia mongolia i was just, I was just checking yeah so we do so tropical birding does a the enigmatic wildlife tours that uh, they're not really birding tours they're sort of like more um they've got big targets and uh, yeah they they look to find the snow leopards up there and i think they also go for bactrian camel in the gobi desert and palaces capped and a, lo- a bunch of other stuff um, it looks a very cool tour i've just been looking at that it's it's an amazing time i remember something that keith often says is that this is the best time in the history of the world for seeing wildlife um in the past there was maybe more around but you know your your travel was limited um and in the future a lot of things are going to disappear so this is this is really the golden age of um of wildlife viewing and the things that are available now that weren't even you know 10 10 years ago certainly 20 years ago um it's pretty impressive so if if you do have the means i would very much uh, <laughs> recommend getting out there and doing it absolutely there's certainly a dark side to this because there's been so much destruction associated with all the sort of uh, development of in- infrastructure that allows us to get around the world. But mm. I also think that not going and seeing these things doesn't really help anybody. Uh, like you t- tends yeah. to do a lot to support conservation when you have tourists coming in, spending money to see these these wonders. Well. Yeah, thanks for the uh, <laughs> thanks for this description. I'm I'm trying to find my happy place, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got this uh, find my inner inner peace. So that uh, know, knowing that one day I'll uh, I'll be up there. I I love mountains as well. I absolutely love mountain Oof. scenery. I love the th- I love the thin air. I just I just love all that. So yeah, I would uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll take my son one day. You're you're gonna love this this uh, this snow leopard trip. Oh, there's there's one other associated tale I can tell you briefly. Uh-huh. So in this in the second place we stayed, this valley. One day we basically did like a day hike to go up a side valley from there, and in this valley went up quite steeply, and and then it just sort of got steeper and steeper and it got to the point where we, we had our lunch and then the plan was uh, let's just walk back to to the to the village but I, looking at the train i thought you know i think i can go up this valley over that pass and then drop back down to the valley where we're sleeping you know shortcut yeah. <laughs> and so so I, de- I decided to do this and the the local trackers i I don't think they thought I was really going to do this. I thought it was, you know, they, they thought I was joking or something. And uh, <laughs> I, I was serious. So so off I went. They Everybody else went back to the village. I yep. took the shortcut and I, I basically went straight up. It just, it just got steeper and steeper and steeper. And it was going like straight up the side of this valley. But I, you know, eventually got to the top. There's a bit of snow, but just, just scattered snow. I thought, ah, this is fine. This is This yeah. is working great. Um, when I got to the top of the pass, uh, I realized I'd been on the sort of uh, the south slope and where there wasn't much snow, and the north slope right. was just absolutely buried in snow. <laughs> so I, I was sitting there on this little rocky pinnacle, I, and I think that was actually the highest elevation that I've ever been in my life. And I was looking down at this slope, and I could actually see, yep, if I get down there, I'll be in the valley where I want to be. 
But yeah. I was thinking, man, how do I get through this snow? And finally, I just said, all right, I'm going for it. <laughs> and, and it was so it was so steep on the on the north slope. I almost had to jump off the top and just kind of into the snow. And when and when I did that, this mini avalanche started. Like snow just started, <laughs> and it was like the the whole surface. I mean, there were there were like there were square miles of snow on the slope, and the whole, it was like the whole thing started right. to move. Like, and I was like, "Oh man, oh my this God. this is not good." <laughs> but you know, it uh, it stabilized, and I and sort of cautiously went forward and I was, you know, okay, is this whole thing going to collapse? No, you know, I judged it. I mean, it was, it was clearly a somewhat dangerous situation. Um, <laughs> I think under the, cir- under the circumstances, I, I wasn't <laughs> totally ridiculously reckless, but some, no, some people, just fairly, um, let's say judged by the standards of most people, the whole venture was just absurdly reckless, but yeah. I basically made my way down this this snow field, and the snow was actually a little bit wet, so I ended up basically uh-huh. being soaked to the waist. Um, by the time I got down to this to the valley where we were staying, and, and now I thought I yeah. was going to come out fairly near the village. I, yeah. I ended up miles from the village, way way up the valley, <laughs> and so I had to walk all the way down down the main valley to get to the village where we were sleeping. And uh, so, so Scott and Keith, you know, they they got back to the village, and they were like, "Ha, Ken isn't here. We beat him." You know, his short yeah. his shortcut wasn't so short. They were sort of laughing. But then when I had yeah. didn't show up for like another hour, two hours, like they started to worry a little bit. So I, I you know, I finally showed up like around sunset, just soaked to the skin. Wow. It was one of these things where Freezing. I couldn't stop. You know, if I stopped walking, yeah. I would have hypothermia. Yeah. So I, I just had to get yeah, back yeah. to the homestay. Stripped down, dry off. So, all ended well. It was, it was quite an adventure. <laughs> wow, that's that's pretty funny. Cool. I think the moment has come to hear about Charlie's top lifetime mammal sighting. I guess I don't know if you would say this is yep. your top li- wildlife sighting, but so that is the aardvark. The ant bear. First word in the English dictionary. <laughs> the ant bear. So, it's so funny, you know, because uh, you know all English speakers know Aardvark is famous. What, but when I when I went to South Africa for the first time, and I met some Africa. It's Afrikaans, you know. Aard means earth, and Fark means pig, the earth pig. And I met some Afrikaans people, and they said, "Oh, yeah, if you see the uh, if you see the ant bear," and I'm like, "Ant bear? What is that?" You know, I thought I knew, <laughs> like, you know, most. Most animals, yeah, it's the ant bear. And, uh, and I said, "What? What? Where does the ant bear live?" And he goes, "Oh, yeah, it, it likes to eat termites." And uh, yeah, the ant bear. And and then I figured <laughs> we're talking. Oh, you mean aardvark? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you mean aardvark. So yeah, I think uh, Afrikaans people are under the impression that English speakers uh, call this an ant bear, which is actually not really uh, the case. But um, <laughs> anyway, th- this is this is one of these things. You know, we've spoken. We've got so many stories about. Of you know before we went to Africa, just dreaming of seeing a certain species, whatever. But th- this was always on my radar. I'd already seen. I've always seen it in books, and just thought it was just the most outlandish um, animal that could exist. You know, it's got these sort of little little piggy snout and these big long kind of rabbit ears and this huge body, and, and it's just a bizarre, bizarre thing. And and I heard that they weren't too uncommon you know that they were had a big distribution and um whatever so i th- i thought that i would come across it and you know i'd met a few guides who'd seen it here and there and whenever they told me that they'd seen it i would always make an a make an attempt you know go out it's a nocturnal animal of course so you know we'd go out for a night drive and spotlight so and i would always try this um yeah so and, and never with any with any luck and and it, it just never happened. And it went. It's like you with your wild dog. It just it just never happened for me. And and it just got quite quite bad, you know. That I I was thinking, you know, look, I really really need to see this. And and it wasn't like 
that you'd only seen it once or twice. You, you've seen it quite a few times, yeah? In, you know, in several different places. I'm sure you'll give us one or two of your stories afterwards. But um, Well, uh, most notably, Charlie, I saw yeah. an aardvark <laughs> when, I, when I was, you know, you and I were sitting in the back of a car and I saw an aardvark on a night drive and you completely missed it. So I'm sure that was tough oh. to take. It was tough to take. You know, um, me and Ken being fairly uh, fairly thrifty people, uh, we, we were doing a little trip after a tour. We were co-guiding a tour together and we were going to do a little go and look for some extra birds and we we dropped in to see a good friend of mine who was uh, working at a, a cheetah conservation organization and he actually said there was they fairly regularly saw aardvark so we did a little night drive with uh, me and ken and my buddy Tarek, and we went out and it, it was like a little was it like a little golf or something a little tiny tiny car yeah you know, we little doing this little car little small thing yeah and there and the substrate, you know, the, the the earth around it was very, very dusty. So if if you'd have been in like a big four by four raised up like that, you you know, you would have had a, a much better view. But we were sort of at little bush height, you know, trying to sort of craning our necks, trying to look over the bushes, you know, and, and spotlight whatever. And we're driving around. I think I'm at the wheel, and we're going along. And, and then Ken, and this is years and years after you know I've been missing this thing. Um, and Ken was, Aardvark, Aardvark. And I was like, what, what, where? And, and I, I slammed the brakes on and I can't see anything through his way. It's on his side. I can't see anything through that window. So I slammed the brakes on. I, I jump out. I don't think I turned the ignition off. I, thought, I think the whole car sort of kangaroo jumped forward. Um, as, <laughs> and I jumped out and I, I spotlighted and, and I, I, got, I got an eye shine. I got one little bit of eye shine. And, uh, and then just I was just enveloped in this cloud of dust <laughs> you, you know this just huge cloud of dust just kind of caught up with us and then i'm just coughing and spluttering and and then this, <laughs> this eye shine it was just uh, it was just terrible it was just horrible uh yeah so that was that was one there was another time you and me so we, and ken and i did a, a lot of namibia botswana trips and we would do this big long circle and we would end up like in Botswana, in the Kalahari. And we would drop the clients at the airport and then we would drive back to the capital of, of uh, Namibia, Vintuk. And it was a long drive. It was it like a thousand kilometers or something like that. Something like that, yeah. It's a long drive. Yeah, really, really. Two, you know, two decent days drive. So we sort of split it up on the way. Um, and there was a little town in the middle of the Kalahari. And... Uh, a place that I'd stayed before and it was like a little uh, they had like stationary safari tents so you know you'd have a proper little bed like that and there'd be a bathroom and, and whatever and it's right in the middle of the bush all the sounds of the bush it was great and and they had a bar there and the name of the bar was the an- the rampant aardvark so uh, <laughs> and and then I think the owner was owner or manager was there and I was like oh you know so do you actually get aardvarks here and he goes oh yeah yeah they're common I see them all the time I was like oh god right so so Ken and I Ken you know having seen it several times and I think just humoring me we sort of went out on a little uh, aardvark hunt at night and I think we I think we walked didn't we? we they had like a little kind of fenced area and we sort of we were walking around this kind of dry area with our spotlights and I, I, I seem to remember that we got separated at a point. Yeah, that's right. And we're, yeah, and we're stumbling around uh, all these, all these dry bushes, which are often quite thorny. And I was just getting scratched up. It was terrible. And 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 you'd hear all these kind of like um, animals moving around. There'd be like kudus and these all these hoofed animals like running away from you. And any any little sound you heard, you'd be like, oh okay, what's up with that? And you're trying to shine it and. Of course, you know there was no aardvarks anywhere to be seen, and all we got, all we got, was just completely scratched up and lost. And lost. We're just wandering for hours, yeah. <laughs> for hours in this round and round in circle. And then we found each other, and we're like, "No, nah, no, nah, let's give this up." So we, we kind of gave gave up with that. So yeah, there was lots, there was lots and lots of opportunities. But it, l- like, do you like remember? There was another time we were making that drive on we had sort of back to back Namibia tours and we stopped at another yep. place in the middle of the Kalahari that's supposed to be really good for Aardvark and we spent 
I think we spent three nights there. Oh. And we went out every night for night, night drives, like for hours and right. hours. <laughs> I mean, I, we, I was just sure we were going to find an aardvark, and we certainly didn't. Uh, yeah. No. Um, I remember the name of that place now. It was called Dakari. Ah, that's right. Um, we, I remember we found, uh, we, we found aardvark holes, fairly fresh aardvark holes. But, oh, uh, we, were, we were staking them out. Yeah, we were yep. waiting at dusk at a hole. Yep. And, yeah, we were just trying everything. We were trying absolutely everything, but yeah, I was just cursed on this animal. So as as Ken, as you heard with Ken uh, previously with his wild dogs, he just you know he got to ten years or whatever, and then um, I think probably a little bit less for me, maybe eight years. Um, and then I thought, no, I've got to I've got to make a plan. I've got to I've got to really make an effort to to actively go out and, and find this thing. So um, I had been hearing about this uh, wildlife reserve in the northern cape which is a sort of north central of of south africa middle of nowhere you know from i think from johannesburg it's southwest maybe like 500 kilometers southwest and probably middle 500 of actually, north of cape town so it's kind of the as middle of yeah, nowhere as you can yeah, be in south north, africa northwest yeah yeah um and there was a town called kimberley and and I and I heard that there was a like a private um, game reserve where they did night drives, and I think almost every single night you had almost guaranteed sightings of aardvark. And I thought, no, I've got to go there. Um, and one of the skills you build up as an international guide over the years is your ability to convince your clients <laughs> to go where you want them to go. <laughs> so <laughs> I. As I, I might have mentioned before, I've got uh, I've got a very regular Japanese tour leader that we that I run tours with. So, so she gathers the clients, and we put together these these tours. I speak um, fluent Japanese, and I guide these uh, these groups of usually quite elderly Japanese people. And she'd asked me a few times over the years, you know, oh, can we see Aardvark? And I was like, oh, you know, they're really hard. And then I just said to her, look, you want to see Aardvark? And she's like, oh, yes, yes. And I said, "Look, we can we can find it. I know where to find it. Um, do you want to do a tour?" And she was like, "Yeah, let, let me see if she can, if she could find some clients that wanted to go." And just like a week later, she said, "Yeah, yep, yeah, gathered a tour together. You know, I've got sort of eight people that want to go, or whatever." <laughs> and you were like, and like okay. "Yes, yeah," I was like, "Yes, this is going to happen." And and it wasn't just Aardvark. There was a whole slew of other fascinating uh, mammals there. It was it was home to the uh, the black footed cat. Which is one of the world's smallest wildcats, which is really hard to see. I think they even had a, a radio tagged individual, and you could, you know, almost uh, guaranteed sightings of this very rare cat. And there was all sorts of other stuff as well. So we 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 went there, and um, I think about a so we made all the bookings, and about a month before, oh, so we we went to two different places. There was this one place this private game reserve and then there was a national park nearby called Mokala National Park and we thought yeah let's go to two places mix it up see different things and then about a month before the the office at the national park contacted me and they said uh, I'm sorry the the restaurant we're still, we're still open but the restaurant is closed for refurbishment so we're only open for self-catering and I'm thinking oh no, I've, got, I've got eight clients and a tour leader myself I've got like 10 people and no one's going to make food for us. And I said, you know, do you have any people work there that could come in and cook for us? And they were like, mm, no, sorry, we don't. And I was like, okay, I'll cook myself. I don't <laughs> care. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cater, cater three meals a day for for ten people and drive and guide and do the list and do everything else. I don't care. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so uh, the time came, and then we sort of we arrived there. We pick up the uh, the van and a little trailer you know because we couldn't fit everybody in the van with all the bags so we had, we had like a trailer as well and then we went to a local a local shopping mall and i was like okay you know we're gonna have some time in the shopping mall and i just ran around the shopping mall i had to you know buy food for for 10 people for like you know five days <laughs> um and and i made a whole you know i, I actually like cooking i'm a, you know actually a decent a decent cook so i had this whole little um, little menu worked up, yeah, and I ran around, you know, 20 minutes and I had this whole huge shopping cart just full of food for us. Um, yeah, and we had, we had a great time. We went to Mokala first and we, I think we were there for, for three nights 
and I think we did and they also had regular aardvark um, sightings and we did the first two nights game drives at night and they were all, all also saying you know oh, we almost always get aardvark and then the first two nights no aardvark Ooh. and I was like oh you you are it's kidding. happening this again just, <laughs> just or not happening <laughs> Exactly, not happening again. And I was like, and we were seeing so much. I mean, I think we saw black and white rhinos there. We saw um, African wildcats. Um, we the, it was a fantastic place for rare antelopes. They had sable antelopes, roan antelopes, uh, sesabes, um, so many good stuff. And, he, and the birding during the day was absolutely fantastic. You had all the good Kalahari birds. These beautiful crimson-breasted shrikes and. And these tiny little pygmy falcons and it was just amazing it was magical but no aardvark and, and and you know to add insult to injury they had like a little um visitors center there and they had a stuffed aardvark in there they had this like little li- little scene made up where they had this like fake hole with this like stuffed aardvark sticking its head out of this hole and i was just like, oh you're kidding me this is just this is just really this is just terrible anyway last night and I think I think one of those nights maybe was really cold. I think sometimes when it's cold and windy, everything gets quiet and you don't see as much. Anyway, last night, condition was looking better, a little bit warmer, the wind's lower. And then we get out there and it's like, I think it was like a two-hour night drive. And we got to, you know, an hour, hour and a half, hour and three quarters. And it was just, oh, no aardvark. And the guy says, let's just try, let's just try one more, one more place. And we went to this little, little dam like that. And we went in there. And then we had the we we got the back end we got the back end of an aardvark running away from us and you could see this and they're big kind of chunky things you know they're kind of overweight and they they had this kind of like balding back with these slightly hairy legs and these huge arms and, it, and they're just the weirdest animal but so you know I got an okay view but it wasn't face on it was kind of running away and I got the back of its head and it was oh, okay not bad anyway we we moved on we packed up and we went to this other. Uh, private game reserve and this this is the place that that really kind of almost guaranteed them and and i think we went out on the first one and also we had like two hours and it was like yeah oh it's strange we normally get aardvark we had like five last night and no aardvark <laughs> and, the, and, the, and then and then just on the end of the of the of the night drive that we got two and we got one really nice i think we got it like uh in profile kind of running away anyway we proper views i think i even got some photos and we, and we had another two nights of night drives you know i i was i was taking absolutely no chances on this tour that we, we it was just it was just like you know six nights in a row of two to three hour night drives <laughs> everybody was ex- everybody was exhausted you know anyway the next night we went out i think we had Ardwolf as well which is like this weird kind of termite eating little pygmy hyena no, with these stripes very cool just Wonderful very animals. cool animal and all yeah and we had amazing views of that we had bat-eared foxes we had black-footed cat just brief views um it was really it was really good and i think the second night we maybe got maybe four of these something like that so maybe we we might have been up to six animals something like that and then i had this thing pop into my head i remember before the tour i i was telling you that i was going to go and look for an aardvark and you were kind of rubbing it in. You were saying, oh, and when you see your first aardvark, I'll only have seen eight more than you then. I think you, you, <laughs> might, have seen, yeah, you might have seen like nine in total. And I think I was at six and I was telling this guy, you've got to find me another four aardvarks, <laughs> all right? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to see 10 aardvarks. I want to see one more than Ken, all right? And he's like, oh, okay, okay. So we were driving around and we get like two aardvarks really good and then i think we get better views of black uh, black-footed cat and then just at the end we get like another two aardvarks we get like 10 10 aardvarks for the whole trip just killer views killer photos it was just it was just amazing you know it was just the end it was just a really good trip and i was just exhausted you know because can imagine i'd be the catering and I'd the driving up, like, and yeah i'd you know, the, the the I think the clients came out at uh, at seven a.m. But I'd been up for like an hour and a half already with a tour leader, cooking breakfast, and then we went we drive in, and they had an hour off before lunch, and we were just washing up, and then and then making lunch, and then cleaning cleaning up. I've had so we were we were flat out working from like 
5 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. And we were going right through cooking dinner and then doing like a three-hour night drive <laughs> going through to like 10 p.m. I mean, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. We were just absolutely exhausted. It was just, it was just beyond a joke, but um, it just had to be done. <laughs> it was, yeah. So that is, yeah, that is my, my aardvark adventure. Um, end of a, end of an era. I, uh, I remember hearing that you'd finally seen it and I was, I was quite happy. I think it was a bit <laughs> like me and the wild dogs, like everyone, our, yeah. all of our friends and other folks in tropical birding. It was just become this Everybody legendary did. nemesis animal yeah. for both of us. So <laughs> it was, the world yeah. changed when you but saw aardvark. But, but I know you, I know you've got, and I, I know at least a couple of your very good aardvark stories. So I'd love to hear a couple of yours too. Yeah. Well, I, I have yeah, just had incredibly good luck with that animal um, and it started as soon as I moved to Africa you know I, I went basically straight to Ethiopia for months and really one of my first uh, probably within 10 days of having moved to Africa <laughs> I did a night walk uh, or a night drive on which we saw two aardvarks um, really? <laughs> so it, you know, it's one of these things. Of course, I was I was delighted, and it's an incredible animal. But I, I just hadn't built up the same kind of anticipation that that you had yeah. by by any stretch uh-huh. of the imagination. It was just like, oh wow, there's another one. Um, it, it is such an amazing animal. It's it was way bigger than I thought it was going to be. I don't know yeah. about you, but it, it's mm-hmm. just I yeah. think they weigh yeah. what like two hundred pounds or something. Like yeah, um, a huge, a huge. They're just big burly and they have this thick thick tail like the base of the tail is almost like sort of a human leg thickness and then it, yeah. but it tapers down a bit but the nose like is just so tail. long like and a, yeah yeah kangaroo yeah. tail and then this long yeah. nose these enormous ears i mean it's just an utterly bizarre yeah. animal that's just like three <laughs> times bigger than you think it's going to be it's so cool I, yeah. I i get a big thrill out of seeing aardvarks my best aardvark sighting was actually during the day um occasionally especially during the winter in southern africa they will come out in the sort of late afternoon i don't know why that is if it's a temperature thing or what but uh, i was i was in tonkwa karoo national park the the karoo is a part of southwestern south africa that's sort of semi-desert dry terrain and we did an, an all-day hike up this mountain, and we were walking back at the end of the day, and we just stumbled upon an aardvark, just walking across the the veld. And this, as soon as this, this was you with your with your bro- with your brothers, right? Yeah. So uh, one of my yeah. brothers stayed back, but I was with one of my brothers. Okay. And it, and yeah. basically, the aardvarks, I don't think they can see very well, but so we we were right on top of this thing, and and we, you know I think. <laughs> We were as shocked to see an aardvark like 10 feet away as the aardvark was to see us 10 feet away. And so yeah. he he freaked out. The aardvark freaked out. And he just started running pell-mell away from us. And I, I really can't say why we just we chased it. Some kind of weird hunter instinct just took over. And we're like, let's follow it. And so we were sprinting after this aardvark. And you would never imagine that this big clumsy looking animal with not very long legs you would never imagine how fast they can run this thing was running well we were running all out and it was gaining on us it was just unbelievable i mean we were sprinting full sprint after this aardvark and it was it was gaining on us and i'll just never forget the sight of this thing kind of bounding it was like almost like undulating and it, with its weird stride, it would be completely off of the ground, and then it would hit the ground, and that would—it was just the most bizarre gait of any animal I've ever seen running. And uh, yeah. the aardvark, well, we didn't know where it was going, but it did. It was going straight back to its nearest hole. Part of they have these big burrow systems, and then I saw the hole approaching, and this aardvark dove into the hole like a diver into a swimming pool it 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 went the thing went airborne i swear like two meters before and then it like tucked in its its arms and it just i'll I'll never forget the sound of this aardvark just going into this hole it was like and it was gone and then we ran up to the hole 
and under the earth we could hear this and there was dust just <laughs> flying out of the hole and then we realized oh this thing is digging to seal up the hole mm. um right and within 30 seconds it was just you couldn't even hear it anymore it was just buried really? it was back in the earth it's just digging machines eh unbelievably well equipped for digging those those claws um i guess front and rear so you know in retrospect yeah. i feel a little bit bad about having chased this aardvark and and terrified the aardvark but it's not something I really thought about for a long time and probably didn't do it any uh, long-term harm. <laughs> oh. oh, well, I feel, I feel that we're at the end of an era now. Ken, we've, uh, we, we need to go out and start looking for more stuff to, uh, <laughs> to yeah. come Yeah, a whole new world, new, new themes await. I guess we yeah. will have some kind of guest next week. We're not 100% sure who yet, but we'll have a guest on for some kind of uh, top wildlife lifetime chat yep if you if you do feel like going to see any, uh, see either of these things um tropical birding does actually do these uh enigmatic tours which include uh, yeah snow leopards and also the uh they, they visit the same place where i got the aardvarks in kimberley as well on the south africa enigmatic wildlife tour so uh definitely take a look at those um yeah so um thanks again for the great stories ken and likewise uh, likewise the, yep gonna gonna play out with some nice sound uh, and yeah of course we don't have any uh snow leopard or aardvark uh, recordings <laughs> but um the kalahari is a very special place i'm gonna play uh, a recording from the kalahari you know during the day of one of my favorite birds there which is a crimson breasted shrike and it's really the the sound of the kalahari it's got such a distinctive call you know you hear that and then you know exactly that you're in the Kalahari so uh yep enjoy that and we'll see you next week <laughs>